the shepherd of the flock decides he's going to go down a certain course, he might think, well, this won't cause any harm. I'll just avoid a little bit of conflict. He opens the door for all those who are following him to say, yeah, I'm going to follow that same error, that same mistake, that same lie. Because what harm could it do? This world might want a, a church which seeks to avoid all conflict and, and never says any hard thing. No, the, the church that God wants is the one that says hard things. Following messages from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona, September 3rd, Jeremiah 15, verse 15 to 21, September 10th, Galatians 2, 11 to 16, it had to have been a tense moment, I'm sure. Can you picture that? That there, there was this place in the mission field that had been growing, and it was a, a center of worship for the spreading mission field in that area. And you had some of the very well-known missionaries that were gathered there at that particular Sunday. And as they gathered, there were some visitors. These, these visitors were, you know, the, the big shots the people from what we might call in our church body the, the synod office. And those people that were leaders in the church came out to the mission field to visit. Can you imagine how monumental that, that occasion must have been to have that group of prominent leaders come and visit their mission? Of course, the mission was, well, established by now, but this was a big occasion. And yet the the thing that made the moment tense was when they were sitting down together. And then one of the leaders in the mission field gets up and starts to speak to the visiting leader of that church and starts to rail on him for his mistakes. Imagine how everybody else in the room started to wonder what's going on here. This is, this is not good. The, the leader of our, our church, the, the head here who's in charge of so many things is, is confronting this guy and this guy's against this guy and we just all want to get along. But the problem was they weren't getting along and actually they were causing great division, not just between some people in the mission field and some visitors. They were causing division between themselves and their God. Now, this might sound like some scene in a modern conflict in some foreign field, but it wasn't. It was something that happened, oh, nearly 2,000 years ago. It's what we read with the Apostle Paul. Paul is there in the city of Antioch, and you got Peter, his name here, Cephas, uh, the, the Hebrew version of his name, Rock, and he's visiting the church, and, and that's where the confrontation comes up. These conflicts arise, and they do happen, even in that type of a setting with the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul in the early church. But you know, they're not bad. They're actually rather expected. The bad thing is if the conflict wouldn't arise, then that's the kind of church God actually wants. They will be considering not, not the kind of church that we want or that this world might want, a, a church which seeks to avoid all conflict and, and never says any hard thing. No, the, the church that God wants is the one that says hard things. We'll see that today as we look at 
God's word from Galatians 2 and what the Apostle Paul records. We see Paul as he's in this time, well, actually, Paul finds out that Peter comes to Antioch where Paul is centered. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So what was the issue? What was Peter doing that, that caused Paul to call out his mistake in front of everyone else and Paul even to write so severely and say, Peter was, Cephas is condemned. Well, here's the situation. He says, before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But when they arrived, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of a certain group. These, this group was called the circumcision group. So Peter, who's a Jew, understood and knew that you could associate, you could even eat with, which expressed oneness with the Gentile people. After all, it was Peter who had that clear vision from the Lord, don't call unclean what I have called clean. It was Peter who was told by Christ himself, make disciples of all nations. And this was the fulfillment of prophecy as Peter spoke on Pentecost saying, this was to fill what the Lord has spoken, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So Peter boldly knew the truth that he should associate with the Gentiles without requiring those Gentiles to cave into any extra rules or regulations. Basically, a gospel message for them. Until it says, certain men came from a prominent leader along with Peter, James, and those people belong to a certain faction in the church. And that faction in the church is called circumcision because you can probably guess it, they insisted on keeping the laws for Israel, even for the Gentiles. Can you imagine that? The, the non-Jewish people hearing that, oh yeah, you're, you're a part of the church, but only if you, you know, cross off these checkboxes here and you do this and you do this and you do this, then, then you can be saved. Now, Peter wasn't outright teaching that, but by separating himself from the Gentiles and associating only with the Jews and those who could check those boxes, Peter was certainly giving that message. And why was Peter doing this? It says he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Peter, the apostle. We've never seen Peter get afraid before, right? Here, once again, Peter caves into that timid feeling of he didn't want to stand out and go against the crowd. The boldness disappears for that time as he caves into the pressures and by doing so, confuses the gospel message in front of everybody. You know, sometimes it, it is the, the leaders in the church who are first put on the spot to speak boldly. It is those who are called by God, like Peter was, to guide and lead his church, or like Paul, to be that leader in the church to speak out when you need to speak out. Because we see what happens. It says the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he too is caving into this. You don't want to go against Peter. Sometimes when the, the pastor, the, the shepherd of the flock, decides he's going to go down a certain course, he might think, well, this won't cause any harm. I'll just avoid a little bit of conflict. But he opens the door 
for all those who are following him to say, yeah, I'm going to follow that same error, that same mistake, that same lie. Because what harm could it do? Now, this is a gathering in one of the most prominent centers of worship in the ancient church with two of the most prominent leaders in the church. What about today? It doesn't matter how big the church is or if it's a foreign mission field or if it's your local church. What should a leader of the Christian church do when when they have to say something hard and stand up against a lie, a lie which Paul says is not acting in line with the truth of the gospel? That person speak up. Dare they? Would you support a pastor if they had to say that hard thing and confront another leader in the church? If they had to speak up for the sake of the truth? You know, this doesn't just apply to those who confuse the gospel by saying you have to do something. It goes the other way too. Those who confuse the gospel by saying it's now a license to sin. Both lies are dangerous. The prophet Ezekiel found that he had to warn the people who were thinking you could do whatever you want and sin didn't really matter. God doesn't care about that. The Lord tells him, speak up, say the hard things. Jesus tells his disciples, if someone sins, rebuke them, show them their fault. Say the hard things. And Paul when he's in a crowd of people that are going against the gospel, speaks up because the gospel is being confused by work righteousness. He must say the hard things. Now this takes place almost in every church where God calls on you to say the hard things, to go against the crowd, to not do just what's comfortable but what is true and right according to his word. And you know what? It's not just for the the church where we gather. For your home. You, brothers and sisters, you are the church. The, the church, the holy church, is made up of all believers everywhere who believe in Christ. And as you gather in your home and with your friends and family, if, if they claim to follow Christ, are you willing to say the hard things to them? If they start doing something which makes it seem like you have to add on to the gospel, would you just maybe ignore it? Because, you know, they're family and you don't want to cause a scene in the, during the family dinner time, right? Or it's Thanksgiving time. We don't want to cause a mess because somebody is doing something that needs a rebuke. God wants a church that says the hard things. God wants people in his church willing to say the hard things. Well, let's see what Paul does. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, maybe that's where the tension comes, right? You imagine this public confrontation. Didn't Jesus say, didn't we just read Jesus saying, if your brother sins, show them their fault just between the two of you? Well, Paul recognized this was something that was done openly and it was causing many people to go astray. So it needed to be called to account openly so that Peter could correct what he had done. Paul says, You are a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile, not a Jew. How is it you force Gentiles to do this? How can you add to the gospel? And then I want you to know, Paul does not say, Away with you, Peter. Paul does not brand Peter his enemy. 
Maybe we might be tempted to do that when there's a confrontation in the church to right away jump at somebody's throat and try to drive them away. That's not what Paul does. Paul understands that Peter is an apostle. Paul knows that Peter wants to hold to the truth. And he says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. We, too, have put our faith in Christ, that we may be justified by faith, not by the works of the law. Notice Paul includes Peter with him. Peter, he says, you know better, right? You know, we know that we are saved apart from the works of the law. We, Peter, you know this great truth, he says, in line with the truth of the gospel. We actually don't see the response that that Peter gives. But we know how Peter would have responded. Peter loved the gospel too. Peter, all the apostles, did not break ways, they did not part ways, but Peter responded in accordance with Paul's words. You can see it in his letters, written not too long before he died. The gospel cannot, should not be tolerated to be compromised. In fact, you can read in Paul's letter here, if anyone preaches anything other than the gospel we have, let them be condemned. Say the hard things for the sake of the truth of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, whatever it might be, maybe someone is trying to add to God's word and they're saying, you must do this if you really want to be saved. Or if they get that impression from you, you're careful not to give that impression, but rather we are saved apart from the works of the law. Or someone is trying to diminish the gospel by saying, sinner's sin, it's no big deal, just do your best and God will overlook that. And so trample over the blood of Christ. Let the truth of the gospel shine out. And that truth is, Peter didn't deserve it. Peter, who became afraid when it mattered the most, didn't deserve to be justified, declared innocent before God. Paul knew he didn't deserve to be declared innocent. He wasn't a leader in the church because of the life he lived. He was a leader because he was justified, apart from all the works he'd done, but by faith in Christ. And hopefully it doesn't come as a surprise to you. I don't stand serving God's church as a shepherd because of the life I lived. How could I dare to start to give any impression it's what I've done when I've failed before my God? How could you give any impression it's on what you've done that makes you justified or right apart from faith in Christ and faith alone? Jesus, the Holy Son of God, came down from his throne in heaven and lived the life that we could not live. How could we ever add to that? How can you add to the perfection and holiness of the Son of God who lived in your place? Jesus, the perfect and holy Son of God, went to the cross and willingly kept the Father's will so that you could be declared innocent. How could we ever look at the measure of his love and diminish it by saying, we'll go on sinning and to live now is to live free, so do what you wish. And so diminish his great price and sacrifice which he paid for our sins. And in doing so, diminish the gospel of Christ. The truth of the gospel is this, and let nothing else stand. We are sinners. We cannot be justified by our own works. 
But the Son of God has paid for our sins with his holy, precious blood. A price so great and wonderful, it covers everything. A price so wonderful and grand, a gift so enormous, how could we ever diminish it in any way other than turning from sin into his wonderful grace, the truth of the gospel? Whether it's in your family or your church or your life, you know what kind of church, what kind of people God wants. Not those who will cave in, who will just simply overlook those who turn aside from the cross, but one who will go straight through the cross and the cross alone. Sinners who are justified by faith. Sinners having been justified, now living for their God. This is the church God wants. A church willing to say the hard things, pointing to the most wonderful thing, the cross. Amen.